Welcome to PFQ, Learning Objective 4, Project Management Planning. Learning Objective 4, Part 1, has four elements to it. Element 4.4 is outline the purpose and typical content of a business case. 4.5 is to explain the role of the project sponsor, as well as the project manager, in relation to developing a business case. 4.7 is define the term benefits management, and 4.10 is explain why establishing success criteria is important at the start, during, end, and the handover of a project. So let's look at part one, project success. How can success be defined? And let's consider it in the short term as well as the long term. And let's look at the question, can you have short-term failure but long-term success? So defining success in the short term normally is centered around things like specific elements of the project, like how well is it delivering on the schedule? How well is it delivering against its budget? Are the outputs of the project actually passing the test results? Can we transfer those products into BAU? Longer term is much more sponsor-oriented, much more business case-oriented. Are the benefits being realized? Are we actually producing the revenue that was in the business case at the beginning? Are those facts and figures actually becoming true? Are we gaining the benefits? Now, looking at the question as whether you can have short-term failure and long-term success, it can happen. It would be the exception to the rule. Sometimes projects go over budget. Sometimes they go over schedule. Sometimes stakeholders aren't happy during the project stages. But at the end, the product does actually produce a benefit. And a good example of that was Wembley Stadium. Wembley Stadium is producing a benefit year in, year out. But the project that ran it was considered a failure. It was way over budget and way over schedule. So let's look at project success criteria. And let's ask the question, why is it important to establish success criteria at the start, the during, and the end of a project? In other words, all the way through a project. I think it's important first to define success criteria. What is a success criteria? What, what does that mean? In essence, it's the definition of good. It's what good looks like for a project. And it gives the project team something to work towards, a goal, in order for the project to be accepted at the end by business as usual. So these can be things like keeping the project on schedule, keeping the project on budget, having the project pass tests so that at the end, the products will get accepted and released into business as usual. KPIs are a segment of that. They're often called interim success criteria. So a key performance indicator or KPI would be a status report that might show that the project halfway through is on budget. That would be a key performance indicator that the project could finish with a success criteria of a on-time and on-budget project. Other things that are KPIs are surveys that could go out to stakeholders that might come back positive that the project is being run, audits that are passed that show that the project is being run correctly and giving confidence to stakeholders. So that's the difference between project success criteria and key performance indicators. So back to the question, why is it important to establish success criteria at the start, during, and at the handover of a project? So at the start, it needs to be scoped out. You need to interview stakeholders. You have to determine what would make a successful project that will give the project a goal 
to work towards. As the project moves through its life cycle, more information becomes known and you can adjust the success criteria. So for example, a success criteria might be that the staff needs to be more efficient. But as you move through definition phase and you get more information, you might find that you could say, we need to make the staff 15% more efficient. That way the success criteria is being updated as we work our way through the project. Success criteria are very important at the end because when you're trying to close out a project, you need a clear definition of what is good so that you can hand the products over to BAU and start benefits realization. Moving on to part two, the business case and the purpose and typical contents. So a couple questions for us here. What is the purpose? What does a business case do? And secondly, what are typical contents within a business case? So we'll define the business case according to APM. We'll use their specific definition and then we'll work with that definition a little bit as we go along. So the business case provides the justification for undertaking a project. It evaluates the benefits, the costs, the risks of alternative options and provides a rationale for the preferred solution. So let's break that down a little bit and go through that. So the business case provides a justification for undertaking a project. It is the why. Why are we doing the project? Is it because there's new regulatory legislation that has been passed in which a project needs to be launched to meet? Is it because the products of our organization are now obsolete and we need to update them so that they will continue to sell? There must be a justification for doing the project in the first place, the why of the project. And that's found in the business case itself. It also evaluates the benefits. What good will come from this project? Is it because we are going to be more efficient when this project is delivered, more compliant to regulatory mandates? Whatever it might be, it will evaluate what good will come from it. We'll take a high level view of costs as well. You won't know specifically what the cost of the project is because this is very early doors. This is often done in concept phase, the high level business case is made and a more detailed business case is made during definition. But for a business case to be signed off, stakeholders are going to wanna know a rough estimate on how much it's gonna cost and how much time the project is going to take. Let's get into this next part of the definition which is about alternative options. So the options that are available to the organization in order to address the need of the project are listed. And the do nothing option is often listed as well. What if we weren't going to launch the project? What if we were to spend our time and money elsewhere? So that will give the steering committee who will ultimately sign off the business case along with the sponsor something to compare it against. The preferred option is also highlighted. The project team and the sponsor would like to do the project in this way. This is the solution we feel is the best one. Risks are looked at in the business case as well. So these are normally around the commercial aspects. What would make the business, the benefits not come true? For example, a downturn in markets, housing prices crash, that could affect the benefits of the business case. Those are risks that would be outlined there. So the contents of a business case, we'll go through these one at a time, strategic case, options appraisal, expected benefits, commercial aspects, risks, and timescales. So just to recap, the strategic case is why we're doing the project. The options appraisal are the different options that we have for doing the project itself, including the do nothing approach, and which is the preferred option. 
the expected benefits is what good will come out of the project in the long term. Commercial aspects are things about the financial justification of the project, the return on investment. If we spend £100,000 on a project, we expect to make £500,000 in 10 years. Those kind of commercial aspects are outlined in the business case and discussed during the approval process. Risks to the business case itself, downturns in markets, things that could affect the commercial viability of the business case, and timescales. How long do we think the project is going to take and how long is it going to take for the benefits to be realized? And that is a rough estimate when it's in the business case. So looking at business case development and the roles of the sponsor as well as the project manager, because both play a key role when it comes into the development and the maintenance and the management of a business case. So what roles do the sponsor and the project manager play in business case development? During the concept phase, an outline business case is made. It's owned by the sponsor and it is owned by the sponsor not just in the concept phase, but in every phase all the way through the project life cycle. During definition, it's refined. We have more information in order to come up with better estimates on schedule, timescales, budgets. We'll have more information about the preferred solution and it can be revisited. Benefits can be updated. We might be able to actually quantify the benefits by saying, instead of saying we were going to generate more revenue, we could say we're gonna generate 500,000 pounds over the next 10 years. During development phase, the business case is approved and then moved into development along with the PMP, along with all of your plans around risk and cost and schedule. During development, the business case is the blueprint in which to compare the project against when you're asking the very pivotal question, go or no go. So if you come to a decision point in a project, the end of a phase or the end of um, to a gate review, the project will be reviewed. It will be looked at as to how we're doing against our risks. How many milestones are we able to capture? How are we doing against our schedule? How are we doing against our budget? And at that point in time, the business case is brought forward and reviewed. And the key question is, can this project still deliver the benefits that are within the business case? And if the answer is no, then the organization might halt the project. It might be a no-go and they may spend the time and the resources and the money on another opportunity. During transition, the business case is reviewed and all plans are updated and it's passed over to the realization phase. So that is what occurs all the way through a project life cycle up until business realization. And the project manager and the sponsor have a key role in this. The sponsor owns the business case. The sponsor is, is accountable for the, business, for the benefits being realized, whereas the project manager contributes to it and makes sure that the project itself supports the business case all the way through the life cycle. Let's look next at benefits management. And there's a few questions for us here as well. Does your organization have a benefits management process and how effective it is? So that's something you can take away and do an analysis of in regards to your own organization. And then consider the process for establishing benefits. So I think it would be good here to read the definition that APM has and then do what we did last time and pick it apart and go into it in a little bit more detail to make, to make it explainable. So benefits management, and here's our definition, benefits management refers to the identification, definition, 
planning, tracking, and realization of benefits. So let's go through those each at a time. So we'll take identification first. So at the very beginning of the process, you need to identify the benefits that you are trying to achieve. Basically, just write them down and document what they are. And they are captured. They're captured by interviewing stakeholders. They are captured perhaps through questionnaires. But what, is, what are the benefits that need to occur? And those are identified in that first step. Defining them is coming up with quantitative numbers, if possible, to what those benefits are. So instead of saying we are going to increase productivity, as we've said, we'll quantify that by writing in the benefit 25% increase in productivity over the next four years, for example. So we provide a little bit more detail, more measurability within the definition phase. Planning, so at this point in time, we look at the steps on how are we going to achieve the benefits? What are the timeframes for achieving the benefits? And who is responsible for doing what throughout that entire process? And the last stage is realization. So it is actually making the benefits come true and taking any corrective actions if the benefits are not being realized in the way that they're outlined in the business case. So an example there, if there's a new product and then we get in, that product gets released, it gets given to the sales team to sell, and then the sponsor does a benefits realization analysis and learns that the project actually didn't meet the benefits because the product's not being sold. So that would be the sponsor, would, their next step would be to contact the sales team and try to determine why. Why are we not selling this product? Why are we not generating the revenue, the return on investment that we outlined in the business case at the very beginning in the concept phase? We're going to move now to learning objective four, part two. And there's one criteria here, 4.6, which is explain how, a stakeholder, how stakeholder analysis supports effective stakeholder engagement. So stakeholder engagement, few questions for us here to consider. What is a stakeholder? What does that term mean within the context of project management? Why are stakeholders important? Why do they need to be engaged with? And something you can work on is get coming up with examples on your own as to the typical stakeholders that you see on your projects. We'll provide some examples in this presentation. So let's look at APM's definition here. Stakeholder engagement is the term that refers to the systematic identification, analysis, planning, and implementation of actions designed to influence stakeholders. All right, let's keep that in our head and let's think of the, our, break through this definition one little bit at a time. Stakeholder engagement. Well, let's look at the word stakeholder first. What is it? So a stakeholder is anyone whose interest could be positively or negatively affected by project outcomes. So anyone who has an interest in the project and perceives that it could help them or it could hurt them. So immediately we have two different types of stakeholders. We have positive stakeholders and we have negative stakeholders. So a positive stakeholder, well, an obvious example would be the sponsor who are to champion the project to make sure that it comes to fruition so that it gets launched and to make sure that it's successful and that benefits can be realized all the way through. A negative stakeholder is anybody who's against the project. And these come into effect, the most famous examples of these are the general public. So if there's a construction project 
oftentimes the local populace will be against it. They will be negative stakeholders and they will, be need, they will need to be managed very carefully. So that's a stakeholder, anyone whose interest could be positively or negatively affected by project outcomes. So stakeholder engagement is a step-by-step -step process in which you determine who your stakeholders are so you can positively engage with them and hopefully influence them in the right way. Analyzing them, so perhaps putting them into categories like the general public, the project team, support staff, the project management office. You can categorize stakeholders. This makes it easier to come up with a strategy that could fit an entire category and try, instead of trying to bespoke a strategy for each individual one at a time. Easier to do it in bunches. Um, the next part of this would be determining that strategy. So how are we going to positively influence these stakeholders? What is it that we're going to do in order to keep them on board to continue to get their buy-in and to help so that they can help the project, perhaps even be a champion for the project itself. Then all the information on this is gathered as part of lessons learned so that you can help out the next project that comes along and they can learn from all the things that you did well or the things that you could have done better when it, came to, when it comes to stakeholder management. So let's look at stakeholder engagement in a little bit more detail. And the first step, as we've said, is identification. And identification, the project manager has a few tools that they're able to use. The main one is brainstorming, which is sitting in a room with a bunch of subject matter experts or SMEs and trying to identify everyone whose interest could be positively or negatively affected by project outcomes. Lessons learned from previous projects can help with identifying stakeholders as well, getting expert advice, and next, mapping the stakeholders, which we see an example of where we put stakeholders in specific categories. So for example, the project team, the internal stakeholders within your organization, external stakeholders such as the customer, and perhaps even the general public, regulatory bodies, government institutions that you may be working with, or if you are working on an international project, international stakeholders can be part of it as well. But by putting them into categories, it makes it easier to come up with strategies which may fit everyone within that category. So now let's look at stakeholder engagement process around analysis, which is the next step in this process. So stakeholder analysis involves taking that big list of stakeholders that you are able to identify with your subject matter experts and through your brainstorming and analyzing them a little bit. So one of the tools that a project manager often use during this step is called a power and interest grid. So a power and interest grid is when you look at your stakeholders and the first thing you do is you go through that list and you determine are they positive stakeholders or are they negative stakeholders? And you group them on the quadrant in that manner positive ones, ones that feel that the project will be in their interests, and negative stakeholders, stakeholders who feel the project is against their own self-interest. Once that's been done, then you rate them on their level of power over the project and the level of interest that they have in the project itself. So power can be things like, well, the sponsor, who the sponsor has the um, ability to stop the project if they wish. They have that authority. That obviously makes them quite powerful. They would rate very high on the power and interest grid. The next one would be interest. How interested are they in the project? Well, again, the sponsor would be very interested because they're accountable for the business case. You can have high power and low interest. You can have high level executives within an organization that are very powerful due to 
the statue that they have. However, this project is not on their radar, so to speak. It isn't something that interests them directly. So they would be high power, low interest. And you do this for both positive and for negative stakeholders. It helps you start formulating a strategy on how to manage them throughout the process. Third step here is planning. So this is where you come up with the actual strategy that you're going to use. So this is how you're going to communicate with the stakeholders, how you're going to work with them, and all of these things will go into the comms plan. How are you going to do your status reports to keep them up to date? Who's going to receive those status reports? If you're having prototypes of the product that you're making, who will be participating and viewing those prototypes? If you're doing agile project management and you have a daily stand-up, who goes to those daily stand-ups? These are your strategies in order to get stakeholders engaged at the appropriate level is what is done during planning. Next with stakeholder engagement is implementation. That is when you implement your plan. So this is the day-to-day engagement of working with stakeholders all the way through a project life cycle. And this is where your soft skills are gonna come into play and your awareness of culture and your awareness of how to run projects your ability to influence, your ability to use conflict management so that you can keep your positive stakeholders positive and keep them helping the project and you can mitigate the damage and the disruption that can be caused by negative stakeholders. So next thing to do is an exercise. So with this exercise, what we'd like you to do is identify three stakeholders that are external to your project team and map them on a power and interest grid. So you can start doing this in real life so that you're prepared to do it for an actual project. And then for one of the stakeholders, create a line entry in a communication plan. How will you communicate to that one specific stakeholder? 